Hello, good morning, and welcome to Let's Get This Ship on the Road. My name is Sam Livingston Gray, and here is Astrid County. Hey, hi everyone, I'm Astrid. Just so you know, Jay, I'm Astrid, you're Jay, just want to make that clear. Oh, uh, yeah, but right. we do have a guest today, and I would like to introduce Cheryl Schaefer. Cheryl is a software engineer at LaunchCode, a nonprofit helping people get their first job in tech. She mentors at Coder Girl, a weekly meetup for women learning to code in St. Louis. She has a master's in music and taught music lessons before switching careers. She lives in Illinois, no St. Louis, with her husband and three adorable cats. Hi, Cheryl. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for inviting me to speak with you today. I'm super Hi, excited to be here. <laughs> And like, let's talk about learning and mentorship in tech. Yeah. Well, first, we like to get your origin stories. Well, as you mentioned, I first studied uh, music at university and I was performing and teaching lessons. And so I had like lots of different day jobs while I was doing that. Uh, I still play in, a, in an Irish session band for music. I was not writing code. I, I was playing video games. I wrote some macros for those. And I did like crafting and tinkering in other ways, but I wasn't writing code. At some point, uh, I decided I needed to switch to a career that was going to be a little more stable. So I looked up some data on the Bureau of Labor's website and uh, surveyed a bunch of day one of university classes at the local school. And um, writing, programming, computer science seemed like a really good fit for me. So I took a couple of classes there. I just jumped in feet first and said, let's, let's see what I can do with this. Uh, I started attending Coder Girl, which um, had just started, and that was summer of 2014. And uh, some other local meetups, Estill Ruby, uh, Lambda Lounge, where I met Jessica Kerr. Eventually, uh, about two years ago, Mike Menny took me on at LaunchCode as an apprentice. And uh, just to come full meta, in April, I took on an apprentice who's since been hired full-time. The circle of life. Yeah. I just like to say, I really find it interesting that you went to the Bureau of Labor Statistics to try to figure <laughs> out what you should do. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that before. I did. I had no clue what I what I planned to do. When I first went to university, when I was like 17, I was going to double major in CS and music. And like one class divested me of that plan. And I dropped the whole thing. <laughs> but I, I didn't think of it when I thought, oh, I, I should do something else. I thought I should do something that provides health insurance. And that was my main <laughs> criteria. <laughs> that is totally okay. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I used to work for the Census Bureau, so I knew the Bureau of Labor had taken the census statistics and sort of um, drilled down into it. So this is where your odd jobs came in handy. Every step of the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting, though, that you originally wanted to do the double major, because I've heard a lot of people opine that uh, musicians tend to make good software developers. I think there's also a, a studied correlation between music ability or music study and uh, math, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was good at math, too, um, at the time. Not so much science, but math. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of skills that transfer over. Um, communication skills, iterative process of music is very much the iterative process of coding. And I did the exact same thing when it came time to help other people with tech. After I'd finished the CS50 Harvard class online, there were a lot of other ladies that were like struggling through further back. And I just kind of hang around at Coder Girl and was like volunteering to help them also finish the class. What I really found is that a lot of the techniques I was using to teach my primarily high school girls flute music worked exactly the same when I was teaching a 30-year-old how to write a website or how do pointers work. The learning is the same. So that really helped a lot. <laughs> so Cheryl, you had mentioned 
that you started taking some courses online when you decided that you were going to, you know, switch over to computer science for a career. What was it about those courses that kept you going since that first class in college, you know, kind of turned you off? Well, that college class was the only experience I had at that point with an auditorium class. So it was the introductory class, but there were in excess of 100 people there. And there were just a lot of things about it that made me uncomfortable. I was able to complete the material just fine. But also the university curriculum made it difficult to do both at the same time. And I had scholarships to do music and it was engaging and it was fun. So I focused on that first. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As far as completing the online classes, there's a lot of things that I think set up for success. I scheduled it in every week. I conned a friend into helping me and also taking it for a while. I talk a lot about the ways I use for myself and ways that you can use for yourself or someone you want to train. In that talk that I gave at RubyConf in Cincinnati in November, a lot of those techniques have been studied in education. And we can really just like lean on that research and not not repeat ourselves, if you see what I did there. <laughs> <laughs> I also kind of wrote it out in a blog post that I put on blog.launchcode.com about how you can help empower someone with mentorship. Like just a lot of topics, just a survey to kind of get you started. But I think the main thing for me is finding what it is for one-on-one, seeing I'm going to try this one thing. Let's experiment. Try this one thing. Did that help? this one person. And if it did, just like slam it, do everything that way. And it's just super fulfilling to see people, you know, spin up on something new. It, Mm -hmm. It can really change people's lives. Totally changes people's lives. I would definitely agree with that. I think sometimes what people don't understand about mentoring is part of, you know, you're giving yourself and it can be fulfilling, obviously, but it's also a lot of work. Sounds like, you know, you're doing a lot of work in this area. Can you talk a little bit about that side of it and also kind of like what's needed in order to be a good mentor for someone out there? If you're trying to be a good mentor, the main thing, the most important thing is just to be present. Schedule the time in so it becomes a priority. Don't try and multitask and do it at the same time as something else. Just give that one person a devoted hour and you and I are going to work on this now and I've got your back. Ultimately, they're responsible for their own learning. You're the guide. It's really their journey. But if you can give them that level of support, you're really going to be responsible ultimately for everything that they're responsible for too. Help them with motivation and, you know, make sure they're accountable and what they're doing is actually achieving some of the goals they're trying to reach. You know, limit it to the most important things. Burnout is a big issue too. And it can happen either on the learner or the mentor. If you don't say no when you need to, you're probably not going to be as successful and neither of you is going to enjoy it. Like when you're on a plane and they say, put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on your child. That's really important to think about that. Another thing to think about too is really only do one at a time. I want to do everything. There's so many interesting topics out there, but maybe this quarter let's focus on Node and next quarter we can learn Spanish. Uh, If you try and do them both, it's not likely to be successful. So who gets to choose that? Of course you do. (laughs) As the mentor? Uh, No, you as the learner. So if you're the mentor, (laughs) no. (laughs) You, however, can choose to extract yourself as the mentor if it doesn't align with your goals. (laughs) I've traditionally limited, so in doing mentoring, 
I, I remember I, I took on a group of about six or seven. And I said, hey, I'm going to be a mentor and I'm going to help out. So we're going to meet like three days a week. And then I recognized that that was way too much for me <laughs> because we had our one hour session. And then I was doing all this code review on top of it. So over the years, I've learned to kind of connect people together and really kind of focus on the code review. I guess <laughs> I'm asking for feedback, but what do you think about that as far as like people wanting to mentor, but they feel like, oh, it's going to be, I'm going to take on this huge burden. Do you think it makes sense for people to say, hey, I'm just going to focus on something small, like, hey, just send me your code or push up a pull request and I'll take a look at it for some open source project. Well, what are your thoughts about kind of limiting your mentorship so you can make it a little bit more long lasting? I think that's a wonderful idea, especially when there's so many different aspects. It's perfectly viable to say, I'm going to help you in this narrow context. And I think that's really smart to do. That apprentice that I took on at work, you know what? I can't apprentice on DevOps yet. I'm doing some of it, but hey guys, I just started two years ago. <laughs> so when we come to big architectural decisions, now's the time to kick that up to somebody else and let's discuss it as a group or let's bring one of the more senior people in on this issue. That doesn't mean you can't help them. It just means you can't do everything. And who could really do everything anyway? <laughs> I prefer ongoing mentorship. If I'm going to help somebody, I want that accountability for myself and for them that we have a goal, a very specific goal, and we're going to reach that goal. And our responsibility when we have achieved that goal is now released. So we're always buddies. You know, I'm still your friend, but we've made the goal that we've tried. The other kinds of things, uh, other models of mentorship, like single serving, you know, occasional flyby, there's really no way for you to know if that was successful. And it's great to have like a conversation at a meetup. And I suggest if you're learning, you do that. Go to meetups and ask questions. But as a mentor, I don't feel like that is as uh, successful for me because I don't get the positive feedback that keeps me going to mentoring. I mean, I'm just speaking from my experience here, but I think sometimes there needs to be a distinction between being like a teacher's assistant and then being a mentor, because there's so many little nuanced parts of how you write your code that could be adjusted. It's almost like some people are saying they want a mentor, but what they really want is almost like a teacher's assistant, which is too much for a lot of people. They don't have the type of time and energy to be able to do that because they have other stuff going on. But I know like in my experience, some of the people who have been my best mentors have been people that I just feel comfortable asking them a question. And it's not always a specific technical question. It's just, I wonder, should I apply to this job? What do you think? That type of stuff. Or am I ready to try this new thing? I don't know. I mean, am I putting too much or should I try to do something beyond my scope? Am I ready for that? I think that's more like what a, a good mentor, like good mentors I've had for years, there are people who I could call and ask a question like that more so than people who I could say, hey, I'm having problems with this method. I need you to help me with my code. That I think is a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely, Astrid. Thank you for bringing that up. I tend to think in the big picture outline like that. I'm thinking of what you're trying to reach and where you're trying to go. And generally, like I review pull requests, of course, but if you're thinking of ways to pull that three lines down to one line, as long as there's no bug, I'm probably less interested in that just individually from my personality, whereas somebody else might find that super engaging. So I think learners and mentors accept that you need a whole community of people to learn from. The more, the merrier. If you can get a different perspective from different people, like when you're a kid at home, Mom said, no, I'm going to go ask dad, <laughs> you know, 
go find out what the other person is most interested in and learn from who is most appropriate for each topic. I think people working in tech can and should, even very early on, learn the small details themselves. Figure out, help them learn to read the API, help them learn how to read demand pages, and then set them free to figure that out on their own. As we were talking about in the pre-call, that uh, turns out to be an absolutely essential skill for everybody, even very experienced developers, right? So it's good that you teach that early on, I think. Okay, so we have a listener question. Uh, listener Ariel Spear asks, how can I show up better as a mentee? She goes on to say, uh, how can you keep yourself from giving up and washing out? And when you find your skills have atrophied, how do you find the resolve to try again? I think whether you're the learner or the mentor, a lot of the same advice applies. Limit what you do to what's most important so you are only working on one thing at a time. Like at Coder Girl, I see a lot of folks who come in and they want to be web developers. So they're taking a front-end course and a back-end course at the same time. And I think that is madness. Pick one thing at a time. And even if the other thing is super important and engaging, just put it on the back burner, put it in a queue, you'll do it next. And when you're coming back to something you've left for a long time... I think it's important to like bring friends, get help, find a meetup, an online community, and all of the resources that are available that you can possibly use. Find all of those things and see which help you the most and focus on that one. If you failed before, you saw where you did do well and what possibly you can see what made you not do well. You know, if you got sick, that's a thing that happens and you just have to accept it and move on. This time you have a better shot. But if it's, oh, well, I was busy staying up late playing video games. Maybe if you also quit the raid team, you will do better this time around. <laughs> Unpossible. <laughs> Unpossible. That's right. Astrid, maybe you have some knowledge and wisdom to share on this topic with your Rails girls. I think sometimes it's too high of an expectation. Like, I think it's okay to just, like you said, learn one thing. I think it's okay to spend time really getting familiar with your text, like getting familiar with the text editor. I think that's fine. I think that's a goal. I think it's fine to feel like you know what you're doing when it comes to one language in just certain contexts. I think that sometimes there's this idea that you have to be able to do a whole lot of things before you're, you can call yourself a name, like and say, I, I, I'm a Ruby developer, I'm a web developer. And I think it gets in the way because there's so many opinions about what it takes to be that. And when you're really first starting out, or even if you've been doing it for a while, it's hard to discern like what it means to be something. I think it makes people kind of freaked out. I think that's where the burnout comes in because you're trying to do so many things because you're trying to reach this goal. And this goal is kind of a goal that I think the more that I, at least for my experience, the more that I've been learning how to do things, the more I realize that there is no real one definition of what it means to be like a senior developer. And there's no one definition of what it means to be a, a good front end dev. But you don't know that in the beginning. And so you're trying to learn all the new JavaScript frameworks, which will, you know, make you want to kill yourself anyway. And you're trying to be great with CSS and do all these animations and you realize you have to learn backend and you're doing all these things. And instead you should try to just say, okay, can I do this one thing really well? I feel confident in this one thing and then allow that to be a goal and then be able to reach for the next thing. Cause I think sometimes like from the mentee perspective, 
it can be hard to tell the mentor what you want if you're trying to do all those things instead of saying, okay, I want this goal. Like I'm trying to reach this place with Ruby and I'm having a hard time with these types of functions. Let me see if there's something I'm missing. Maybe there's resources I don't know about that type of thing. Instead, they say, I want to be a Ruby developer. Help me, which is so much harder. I absolutely agree. I think assessment is so important when you're trying to like limit the scope of what you learn at that point. Can you look at what you did and see what is better than what you wrote three months ago? Can you recognize some of those invisible skills? Like I used grep excellently today and (laughs) every time gold star right on the board. Oh yeah. You know, if you can use those kinds of things to recognize what you've done and just be compassionate with your past self, that really helps with burnout because then you can recognize what you have accomplished. If you say something vague, like I want to be an awesome Ruby developer. Well, yeah, that's true. But you can never accomplish that because the goal keeps moving. Once you've learned more, you're more awesome as a Ruby developer. But now you know more unknowns from before. Some of your unknown unknowns are now known. And you Mm -hmm. recognize, now I know some things I don't know still. And you're never as awesome as some invisible possible goal. When actually the amount you could know is theoretically finite, but practically infinite. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I've actually started doing that's helped me is to rebuild the same thing again, because then you can actually see what you've learned. You know, you may have gone off and like tried to this new thing or tried to learn some new skill. But if I try to rebuild a site that maybe I built six months ago, I can actually tell that I've picked up new skills, that I understand something much better than I did before. And I think that feels like going backwards to people, but it might actually help them better understand what they need. I think that's really fantastic. Um, I recently did something similar to that where I just wrote a little toy game in Ruby a while ago. A couple of coworkers of mine and I wrote a similar little game in Elm just to learn Elm. And it was just a lot of fun, but it was learning a new topic and it was Hey, now I see all these things. I didn't really look at my Ruby code before we started writing the Elm code. Now I'm looking back at that and saying, oh, I could have done this, this or that, you know, but what I had worked. So I think that's another point to be made that you were able to contribute from the beginning. And as a mentor, you should try and ensure, especially if it's on the job training, mm-hmm. ensure that your trainee is doing stuff that matters from the beginning. They have a voice in how it's done and they have a responsibility to meet the goal too. And then they can take some personal ownership for that. It'll make it easier for you to let them form their own style. They don't have to copy your style. But it also like just makes you feel so much better that you can look back and be like, I made a commit on the first day that went live, even if it's just a text change on a splash page. But I did yeah. code that went live. Yeah, I think what both of you are saying is, is so like on point. And I've seen a lot of people utilize that same model for learning. And, and I kind of want to plug a site right now of a guy I know who's used this quite a bit. It's his site called Spot to Fish. And when he first wrote the site, it was when he first put it together, it was in Rails, I believe, when he got out of Dev Bootcamp. And then he turned around and then he did an Express. And then he's went back, he's an iOS version, and he continues to add stuff to it and add features to it, but it's been a big part. I, I saw him do a talk here in Central Ohio about it, and uh, it's just great. Like He talks about how it's really helped him uh, learn stuff and kind of, because he, he has a, a mental model for the way things should look, but he sees you know that evolving and changing as he goes and picks up new languages and new libraries to work with and so on and so forth. So uh, I just wanted to, to point that out and highly recommend that to our listeners. Can, can you say the name again? 
Yeah, Spot to Fish. It's a really great app that just gives you spots to fish at. Cool. One of the reasons why I started doing it is because of what you had mentioned, Cheryl, just, you know, getting burnt out of trying to, like you're learning, you're trying to learn so many new things and feeling like you're not knowing what's going on and if you're actually improving. And I got an idea to do this just from, I watched, I think it was a practice or something with uh, the ballet, the, the New York City Ballet. And these are people who've been dancing, probably most of them since they were like eight or nine years old, and they are doing it at the top of their craft. And every day they come in and they do the same practices that you would do like the first day of ballet class. And it made me remember something that I already knew, which is that really good at something you have to practice all the time, which, you know, is talked about. But when you're doing something like that, your practice is the same practice, like you're doing the same stuff that you would have done regardless of your skill level, but it's important that you keep those muscles really warm and you can do more if you can do that. So it made me think of treating code like that. Like, okay, so I know how to make, you know, a pretty simple Rails app, but can I make it faster? Can I make it better? Can I keep tweaking it? Because if I can do that, then maybe I actually am learning. And then since it is the same app, then I can actually see my progress Whereas like once you do something then you go to the next level, it's harder to tell how good you're getting because you're doing new stuff and it's always going to be more challenging. And so it kind of distorts your thinking about how good you really are because you always feel like a novice. Yeah. In music, we talk about that in terms of learning portable skills, like you study intensely one style at a time, you know, maybe three or four songs at once, but each song is in one style. It's kind of like learning how to learn. You focus on the fundamentals and the things that you've learned in this one song and this one style apply to other songs in that style. And also focusing on fundamental scales. And I'm sure there's similar things for dance where you are learning how things work under the hood and why you're doing things. And so the next time you learn something else or the next project you work on, you can take that skill and just reapply it. That's the kind of the value of the experience that you bring on when you've studied something else first and you're just bringing it with you. Like if you enter another career, there's lots of people want a career swap or, or re-enter the workforce after parenting or, or military service or something. But those kinds of life skills you have from your previous career really show up in how you learn things on the technical side as well. Just breaking things down into small steps and reapplying those steps in other cases. So that iterative approach of going back to the same app over time, or as you were just saying, Cheryl, learning one new style at a time, ties into something that I've seen a lot in uh, people who are learning their first programming language, which, of course, the problem is not that they're learning their first programming language. They're also learning the entire structure of programming. They're learning how to think in those terms. They're learning how to read parser errors and figure out what the heck is going on and where they missed their semicolons. And they're learning uh, all kinds of other, you know, we talked about invisible skills like how to function on the command line and, you know, at least get basic use out of your editor. And I think a lot of people don't realize all of the stuff that you have to learn your first time through. And I, I see a lot of first-timers run into that wall pretty hard. Uh, so I really like, like that idea of just picking one thing doing that and coming back. And every time you come back, you're actually going through that same process again. Like uh, unless you go from like Ruby to Python, where the languages are very, very similar, they do a lot of the same things. You're going to be learning a new domain and you're going to be learning to think about all the things in that domain. It's not just, you know, a new, a new syntax. Um, so I really like this approach of break it down, just do one thing at a time. And eventually if you do enough things, then you get to be pretty good. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that's great. That's a great way to think about it. And I think whether it's your first language or a framework or a special editor or whatever you're learning, that kind of like plug and play Lego approach really helps if you are coming at it from a place of being personally humble, but just be fearless in pursuit of the knowledge. Jump in, meet people, talk about your code, and just try something new. Okay, I've been dying to get into this topic since uh, before we started the show, actually. What do you think, Cheryl, about the future of tech education? When we're talking about what the future of tech education is, then we have to address like the motivation for it. It's all over the news all the time that there is a huge shortage in tech workers, and tech workers are not diverse. It's very limited on who actually makes it all the way through the pipeline and ends up in these roles. So there's a lot of reasons for it to be a great field to go into. Besides, you know, work conditions are generally safe and pleasant. The compensation is good and it's exciting to build things people use, but you really have an opportunity to like shape the future of what's happening. And I find that like so exciting, but it's also like totally okay to just focus on the fact that you can get health insurance (laughs) when you feel like that lack of motivation, like coming through. And I think that the tech education groups are going to be looking at that when they're developing what they do. So like just to survey what the current state is, you have universities pulling out people who really know their stuff, but don't have a lot of experience with it yet. And and then you have boot camps, which seem like a relative new thing. I think it started in what, 2012 was the first one? This was before I was in tech. Yeah. So the first one I was aware of was Hungry Academy and that started in 2012. Yeah. I think they started advertising it in 2011. I think Dev Bootcamp was in 2012 as well. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, Community colleges are kind of moving towards that model as well in a lot of cases. And I think it could be a good fit. So I think it just depends on what individual you're working with. I think you need to just be very self-aware and experiment. Be fearless, try something, and measure your, your success. Different people are going to have access to those different levels of education. Unfortunately, that's just like a, a fact of life. What works for your life situation? If you have kids, if you have um, elder care you're responsible for, so many things in your life can affect what is possible for you to do. I think university study is a great option if you can afford college and like if you know you're interested. I think boot camps are really great too, um, especially if you did get a college degree but didn't study CS or say you have a CS degree, but you couldn't afford to take that internship. So you need some experience practically in the field. I think it's a really great option. They're generally full-time and a lot of them cost, you know, ten or $15,000. That can create a lot of barrier for some people too. Places like Launch Code and some community colleges are offering like night classes in coding topics too now. Like the Launch Code class, that, um, the LC 101 class I'm pretty involved with. It's more of a learn at night model, two nights a week. You can still work your day job and support yourself and your family. So it's kind of in between a college class and a boot camp and that you get on the jobs like immersive experience, but you can still keep up with your life. LaunchCode also offers a boot camp periodically too. And we've done job placements for a lot of people who actually really did just teach themselves how to code in the basement. Not a whole lot of like success rates on that are pretty low. It takes a lot of drive, but it, I mean, it's totally possible. Um, it works best if you also pair that with another source of support. My thoughts on that in the future, I think all of those models are still going to exist and are going to continue to operate in tech training. And there's so many jobs unfilled that I don't think that anyone is really going to get pushed out of the market. They're just going to serve slightly different markets. I think it's just awesome to jump into any of these things, but you just have to like be aware of yourself and think which of these is going to work best for me 
what city do I want to work in? And is the market for what this university or boot camp is teaching me available? How good is the market in that city that I want to live in? And then once you have sort of those decisions settled on, I think just jump in and try it. You'll, you're only know who knows where you'll go once you get there. <laughs> when you first brought this up, I uh, thought immediately of a uh, tweet storm by Sarah May. She, she has a lot of excellent tweet storms, but this one was uh, probably about five, six days ago. She starts out with the wonderful lead. I've been into the wine. So of course it's time to talk about computer science education, which, you know, if you know Sarah at all, you know, you're in for a, a fun Twitter rant. Um, but she talks about, uh, compares and contrasts the uh, traditional CS university curriculum with uh, the people that she sees coming out of code school. And one of the things that she really clarified for me that I had sort of, you know, had in the back of my head, but hadn't really thought about that she really crystallized was this idea that one of the things that the different kinds of education emphasize or don't uh, is communication skills. And she talks about people in poli sci majors who because of the way that the curriculum was structured and the way that the classes worked, they got a lot of practice in talking and debating and communicating with each other, whereas the CS programs tend to emphasize a lot more sort of solo work. You go home, you do your homework, you turn it in. And uh, she talks about how she's seen code schoolers come out with a lot better communication skills, uh, and she finds that that tends to dominate after, she said, like three, five years or so, um, where those people are doing demonstrably better in the field than the people who came out of a solo-oriented university career. Does that match with, with, with uh, what you've seen? You know, I love Fermi's tweet storms, too. I actually had an opportunity when I spoke at RubyConf to meet her, and we had a long conversation about this after dinner, and there was uh, wine involved. <laughs> Excellent. So, you know, I'm data-driven most of the time. LaunchCode has not been around long enough to have like really good stats on our success. We're experimenting with different class formats, and I'm so excited to see what happens to these people three years down the road. But I don't have real good data about that yet. Anecdotally, I can say for me that was 100% true, and I faced a lot of I felt like I faced a lot of pressure to jump into um, management roles and project management. I had been involved in that before, and I I already know how to train people. But I felt like that would be a mistake for me to make career-wise before I can back that up with the proper tech skills. Mm-hmm. And I think seeing my brother's career unfold, uh, he has a master's in CS and has followed a more traditional path. I saw his career take off fast at first, and then he had to learn those communication skills. And he's been working and doing well the whole time. But to become senior, to have that ability to communicate and lead, he then had built those skills on the job, whereas I did the reverse. I built communication skills and management skills and professionalism, as just as you do working, and then kind of taught myself online and at work tech skills. So the curve was kind of the opposite direction, but you end up in the same place. As a person who went through a boot camp, one of the things that I realized that I was a little bit sad about is that there wasn't a lot of digital literacy period that I learned before learning how to be a software engineer. And I do not think that you should have to try to be an engineer just to have a space to learn about how the internet works, because I think that it by itself is actually a really great skill. I, I also find it really ironic that, you know, part of the reason why there's this big need for a lot of software engineers is because every industry uses 
software and technology, and they're doing a lot of what they do online now and using the cloud, et cetera, et cetera. But you don't get that training, not even a piece of that training, unless you're actually specifically focused on a a technology-based major. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a problem. One of the things that I feel like should change is that the way that you're learning, whatever discipline you're learning, should incorporate how this relates back to any type of digital online technology, even in the smallest sense, because just understanding simple things like your browser is sending a call to a server. And if there's a problem, that's what those 404s are about. I think that would actually help a lot of people do their jobs better. And like for me, I was a social scientist. And one of the first things that I realized is I don't understand why we were learning you know, SPSS, which is a statistical package program that you learn, you know, how to use when you're running statistics and your social science experiments and how you evaluate stuff. Like I can do that in R. I can use Python for that. Why didn't we learn those things as well? Because I don't think that everybody needs to be a software engineer, but I do think that if we're going to live in this world where so much of what we do is going to have software behind it, you should know something about it. I totally agree, Astrid. And I feel like we could have a whole nother like hour long conversation to talk about non-coding technical jobs and how can we prepare people better for those. And I think that speaks to partially like why so many people use QA or they use technical writing or I like I learned a lot of tech stuff just trying to fix the computers at a previous job. We had this old Windows system. So the only computers that could run it were refurbs, like you can buy a new computer and run this old software. And I just learned a lot because I needed it. And you see people in that situation where they don't need it until they're adjacent to it. And there's no other opportunity to get to it. I don't know what I don't know. And I don't know that I don't know that my Facebook just shows up when I click the button. Yeah. And why shouldn't everyone have that literacy to know that it's even an option? So many people ask me all the time, like, do you think I can do this? And I never know how to answer that question. It's a long question to answer because my first response is, yeah, sure. <laughs> I want to be encouraging. But realistically, a lot of people don't want to. And, you know, that's totally okay. You may love it and you may not. And you're not going to know until you try it. And it seems like the only way to try it is to go through one of these things that's aimed at engineering. Um, there yeah. are a lot of websites now, though, that do intro stuff, Code School, Code Academy, Team Treehouse, Plural Site. There's a bunch of those that you can go on and just tinker a little bit. And you're not committing to like months and months and change of your life. You're just knowing the basic vocabulary. Yeah, I agree. I think even with those assets that are out there, unfortunately, it still seems that people feel like, OK, that's not for me if I don't want to work in technology. And I kind of feel like that's just a failure of our whole system to just make technology a part of what you learn. Like, I don't see why you wouldn't. I mean, we learn English grammar, even though nobody speaks correct English, but we learn it because you're supposed to understand how you should be speaking. But why can't we learn like how the internet works or what really happens when you press a button? Why can't that just be part of what people learn so they don't have to actually seek it out themselves? Well, as somebody who's gone through the uh, traditional computer science route, it seems to me that a lot of the people with a lot of expert knowledge in that field tend to focus on people who are going to be just like them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly have inadvertently picked up this bias myself, and I didn't even realize it until another Sarah, Sarah May tweet storm where she was talking about people who apply to the Opportunity Scholarship Program at RubyConf and RailsConf. So that's something where people who are from mem- who are members of underrepresented groups can 
attend RubyConf or RailsConf for free, and they get paired with a, a mentor who is somebody who is more familiar with the community and can introduce them around. But anyway, she was talking about the selection process for this and how she hadn't really thought about whether she was selecting f- specifically for people who wanted to go into programming as opposed to people who were curious about tech or might be artists that could benefit from knowing just a little bit about tech. And I think I think that we have this, uh, we in the field have this all or nothing bias, like we're not going to waste our time teaching you unless you're going to go all the way, right? And mm-hmm. I think that might, probably plays into it somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think I mean, there's also an aspect of um, speed of change. So you're talking about traditional schooling, including that. Mm-hmm. It's like your Kanban board. The amount of stuff they have to cram into the kids at each grade is just overwhelming. And the tech stuff is so new, relatively, it just hasn't been included yet. And the places where it has been included tend to just have a higher budget or somebody pushing that as a need. No, we need to have this for our kids, especially in the United States. Our schools aren't universal anyway. Yeah, It's one of those priorities that just falls on the floor. And like teacher education doesn't teach them how to do that. They don't know that topic either. Right. So how are they going to teach a thing they they need to teach themselves first or have someone help them? There's a lot of barriers. And I, and I do understand that when you start talking about the education system, like that is <laughs> that, that's a conference by itself. <laughs> yeah. Um, or a Senate hearing. <laughs> yes, or a Senate hearing. But I guess it's just something that I the more that I learn, the more I become kind of more passionate about, because I think there needs to be an avenue for an alternate route. Everybody isn't and everybody shouldn't be a software engineer, and that may not be their goal. They shouldn't also be terrified of even looking at code, though. And I feel like that's what's happened, is that you're either in or you're not. And, you know, for people to be freaked out by HTML, which is something that can be accessible if it's made accessible, I don't think that should be the case. And I also, you know, having had some experience working in a position where you are at odds with the software engineers or where you're on the other side of that as a software engineer and you're at odds with like the business side of the the company. I think a half that conversation is because you aren't speaking the same language and it doesn't mean that you have to go learn everything. But I think if you even knew what they were talking about in some capacity, it could help you better advocate for what you want because you know people are using like words like you know the thingy over here and the button that does this and it just frustrates because you know software engineers are not necessarily trained to be your translator but then on the flip side of it oftentimes when you're that other person you're trying to figure out how to say what you really want but you don't know and it's not so much that you have to go learn a whole programming language but if you just had a little bit more understanding how this thing actually operates in general it could help. Absolutely. Um, I totally agree. We feel that like shortage a lot at work at Launch Code, you know, just always looking for qualified instructors to help and TAs even to help with the classes. And some people choose to just like volunteer once a month or something like a, a lower commitment. That's a lot to ask for in person still, but if you can, it helps you learn and you help other people learn. But without them, you can only do so much. There's sort of a back door though, right? You've got places like Code School and Code Academy mm-hmm. and Khan Academy and stuff that If you knew to go to those sites, you could go and learn a lot of things without anyone holding your hand. You could just go check it out. And then if you didn't do well, no one could see you embarrass yourself. (laughs) Although it becomes unclear where to go if you have questions. And there's so many of them. If you're at the very beginning, there's just thousands and thousands and probably millions of links that you can find. We put together a little uh, learning tool on the launchcode.org site 
to help you kind of like pick which ones might be relevant for what you're trying to do. Oh, that's cool. But yeah, it's really awesome. But if you're not like trying to do a specific job, you know, you don't have any criteria upon which to select. So maybe just try whatever one you're on and see what you learn. (laughs) (laughs) And iterate. 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 (laughs) Now you know something. Something plus one will be better. (laughs) Okay, so we've come to almost the very end of our show, which is when we like to do reflections, which are things that uh, stood out to us, things that we're going to take away from this conversation. They can be things that we want to challenge our listeners to do. Cheryl, it sounds like you've got some of those. Go for it. Uh, Yeah, I actually have two takeaways from today's conversation. The first is that I felt it's really valuable to have different viewpoints represented. We didn't talk about this in the episode, but we have someone with a traditional CS degree. We have uh, someone who graduated a boot camp and we have someone who was self-taught who kind of like piecemeal together different resources. We all had slightly different perspectives on each of the topics, which I thought was really interesting. My other takeaway was I tend not to focus much on exposing non-coders to fundamentals in my thinking, but I think Astrid's points about exposing people to fundamentals of tech is so valuable at every level. Yeah, that's something that I have been coming to terms with uh, as I raise my own daughter. And, you know, of course, when she was a baby, I thought, oh, maybe she'll grow up to be a programmer just like her papa. And, you know, it's very clear that she wants to be a scientist or an artist. So uh, maybe someday I'll get to pair program with her. I don't know. But in the meantime, I'm just trying to realize that I can be there to help explain stuff as she asks for it. And she doesn't have to grow up to be another mini Sam. And that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's helping me build empathy for uh, other people outside my own mold as well. But I bet you bought her that Ruby Children's book, right? (laughs) It is in her bed with a bookmark in it right now. Oh, my gosh. I was so pleased. Like, I bought it for her a year or two ago, and I just she just happened to pick it up again. And she was reading it. I was like, oh, that's so great. But you never know, Sam. She might end up being a programmer because I was like that as a kid. I loved science. And yeah. even right now, if I was able to go back again and do college again, I probably still wouldn't pick computer science, but I would learn the skills. So you never know. I'm not sure I would advise her to pick computer science anyway, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the takeaways I had was something that you mentioned, Sam, which is the Opportunity Scholarship, because I did not know that existed. Oh, yeah, it's great. That's news to me, because I do want to go to like a RubyConf or a RailsConf, so I'm going to look into that. But then also something else I took away was something you mentioned, Cheryl, which was you were responding to a question and you said that the advice for the mentors and the mentees is the same. And then you continued your response. And I had never heard that before. I mean, usually it's talked about as two different things. But as you were explaining, it started to make me realize what you mean by that, which I thought was really eye opening and helpful. Thank you, Astrid. We usually like to give a listener shout out, but this week we don't have one. Instead, here's a quick update on our funding situation. As panelists, we all volunteer our time to do this, but we rely on Mandy Moore for editing and coordination, and we all feel strongly that Mandy deserves to be paid fairly for her time. Right now, our listener support has plateaued at a level that's almost enough for us to produce two episodes a month. We've been recording every week since we started because we booked a bunch of great guests, but in the long term, we need your help to sustain the show. You can support us at patreon.com slash greater than code, or if you know a company who would like to sponsor one or more episodes, please put them in touch with us. We now return you to your regularly scheduled Nerdfest. 
So one of my takeaways from both watching your talk and then having this conversation is really just the idea that I've been really interested in being a mentor and, you know, it's always been in the back of my head that I might like to teach someday in a formal classroom setting. But, you know, even before I get to that, there's a lot of mentorship that I can do and that I want to do, but I've been coming at it very haphazardly. And so there have been a couple of things that we've talked about today that I think really help clarify for me the role of the mentor. And one of those, Astrid, was from you. You were talking about making a distinction between being a TA and being a mentor. And then, Cheryl, the thing I took from your talk was uh, something you said about giving the mentee ownership of their learning plan, which, of course, you can provide input on, you can you can make suggestions, but it's really up to the mentee to own. So both of those, I think, really helped clarify a model that I should be working towards. So thank you both. Yeah. Thank you uh, very much for having me today. Oh, yeah. This is fun. Yeah, it's been another great conversation. Thanks. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, listeners. We'll talk to you again next week. 